Hello and welcome back to another episode of It's the Principal Principle, an education podcast where we identify common problems in the U.S. education system and seek to have honest conversations about possible solutions for our students. Today we are going to dive into a topic that I think about on almost a daily basis um, because it is an issue that still affects the community that I teach and live in. So for those of you who don't know, I live in Macon, Georgia. I teach in Bibb County in the public schools, the Bibb County School District. Um, We are a victory in progress. And um, for the past two years, I've been teaching at Soar Academy, which is the alternative school in Bibb County. And while I have been teaching in the public school, my husband, he has been teaching in the private school sector at one of the local private schools. While this is very (laughs) um, pretty mundane for the most part, um, it has caused me to reflect a lot on the demographics of our town and how that's reflected in our schools. And what I found is that the town is still very much segregated based on our school district and our areas of the town itself. So Macon has a pretty diverse population. It isn't that large, but for the most part, the schools are still segregated. Um, And this this is a real problem when it comes to enrollment numbers, funding, um, diversity, the Christian school model of being Christ-like, and it's something I really thought we needed to address, identify, and discuss today. So for those of you who don't know, Macon took part in this idea called the white flight. When schools were finally forced to desegregate in the 1950s, 50s and for make in the 1970s since there was so much pushback um, instead of just integrating and joining white and black students in the classroom um, the middle class white families decided that they were just going to leave the public school district and start their own schools um, in a direct a direct defiance to the laws and the changes at the time. Um, from The Oral History of Desegregation, a book by Ashley P. Murray and Dolores D. Linston, um, they write that the private school proliferation in Macon, like other cities in Georgia and throughout the South, began as a blatant and direct demonstration of white resistance to court-ordered desegregation and was used to maintain segregated schooling. And as much as their very existence allowed a significant number of middle-class whites to sidestep a law they simply did not want to follow and disengage from public schools. And while it has been nearly 50 years since Macon formally desegregated, you can still see the effects of this white flight. And you can see it all over the city as the private schools have a majority white student enrollment and the public schools have a majority black student enrollment. And again, this affects several aspects of the community. And it's really pressing that we have this conversation and we really tune into the Christian side of this conversation. Because as these schools 
these private schools celebrate their Christian values and they um, make it a point to include Christian conversation into their curriculum, um, we have to address the fact that the very existence of Christian schools in this town was started by an act of defiance against racial equality. And I don't I don't think that we can sidestep that conversation the same way that these white families sidestepped desegregation. So we are going to focus in today on the demographics of Macon. Um, we're going to look at the implications of private schools on the city and their values on their kingdom identity. And then we're going to discuss and reflect ways that we can heal this segregation in this town and potentially move forward with more diversity and more of an influence on the schools and how they go about diversity, recruitment, and all of that. Okay, so in order to understand the implications of this white flight and how it affects us today, you have to understand the demographics of Macon, Georgia. It is a town that is pretty split population-wise, with just over 50% of the citizens um, in the area being black. Um, as compared to 12.8% nationally, we get this from the most current census data. Um, we also know that the Macon-Bibb County has about 41 public schools and about 19 private schools. This is a really disproportionate amount compared to the national average, um, and it's a rare to have that many private schools in an area. And so you can see that Macon is still operating under this dual system of schooling. So we still have segregation in the area, and that is um, very evident by the private school enrollment and population demographics. So, for instance, um, out of the four private schools that I pulled from the internet right away, um, these are the demographics of white students to black students. So, Covenant Academy has an enrollment of 396 students with a 89.8% white population and a 4.3% black population. Tattnall Square Academy has 500 enrolled. 90% being white, 6.7% being black. Stratford Academy has 825 enrolled students, 76.8% white, 5.9% black. CFCA has 303 enrolled students, 85.5% black, um, sorry, excuse me, white, and 13.1% black. So although the town makeup is majority, um, just barely majority black. The private school makeup is steady white. It has not evened out. It has not sought diversity. It has not recruited black students or encouraged parents to join the public system um, in the past nearly 50 years. Um, the article by Ashley Murray and Dolores Linston, they write that Macon has accomplished what others have not, a perpetual systemic non-participation in the desegregation order set forth by Brown versus Board of Education. So 
as far as white flight goes, Macon accomplished their goal. Um, but sadly, it is 2021, and this goal is no longer needed in our school system. And if it's going to exist, there needs to be conversations that the private schools are having in order to rebalance their student populations in a town that should be balanced because our numbers support a 50-50 split between black and white townspeople. And we are going to dive into that too with our implications. And we are going to have a conversation with my husband, Jacob Bedingfield. He is a private school teacher a private school Bible teacher, and he is going to talk to us about what he's seen in the private school sector. Um, and we're going to talk about what this means for private schools going forward, what their response to this data should be, because this is overwhelmingly negative when we think about the state of racial and I want to be sensitive um, but racial injustice in our country today. It is not okay to be perpetuating a segregated community through the schools. It is not okay to take away from the public schools because of segregation, and it's not okay to not seek diversity in the Christian private schools. And before we continue this conversation, I want to be clear that the issue on the table is not the existence of private schools. I don't think that private schools are inherently bad, and I don't think anyone else should think that either. Um, private schools can provide a lot of benefits to parents, um, to students. Um, everyone in the education world should know that students need personalized needs and they need one-on-one um, -on -one attention. And some students thrive in that smaller setting that only private schools can provide. And a lot of students need per personalized um, curriculum that a lot of times only private schools provide, whereas public schools are not as capable or willing to do that personalized approach. So I think the issue is not that private schools exist. They actually are a good thing for communities and for parents who need them. The issue is when you have these schools claiming to be founded under Christian principles, when their whole purpose of foundation is very obviously unbiblical. So a lot of these schools in the area, they were founded in 1970. And if you know the history of the town, you know that 1970 is the year that Macon was formally desegregated. It was when the law finally said you cannot keep this up. And so it's no coincidence that a lot of the major private schools were founded in 1970. And although that was the foundation, that's not the current attitude for most of these schools, they can't ignore the fact that that was the roots of the school itself. And so I want to move forward with the understanding that we're talking specifically about how to desegregate the community and how we can move forward with these Christian values because being kingdom-centered, loving all tribes and languages, loving people of all backgrounds, colors, um, and philosophies, that is just... That is embedded in the core of 
the Christian religion. And so you can't operate a school that claims Christianity without acknowledging that the segregation of the town is going against biblical principle. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it reads, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This Revelation verse directly mentions the praise that will come from all tribes, all nations, all languages, all types of people. You have other verses scattered throughout the Bible that also reflect this, hundreds of them. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, Colossians 3, 11, Psalm 117, 1 through 2 are a few to mention, and many, many more. So the idea of people coming together to worship the Lord is inherently biblical and is seen throughout the Bible, throughout the Christian faith. And just, it's, it's just core to the identity of a Christian to love people of all kinds. So my question for the Bible schools and the implications of this segregation are, how can you uphold Christian values without acknowledging that there is racial injustice and racial segregation in the town? And how can we move forward so that there is an emphasis on diversity in the private school sector? It is not to bash private schools. It is simply to understand how these private schools are functioning with the limited diversity that they have in a Christian mindset. So kingdom identity and diversity are throughout the Bible, caring for others, um, caring for marginalized communities, serving others is also throughout the Bible. You can see Jesus often went to the aid of those in need. And in Macon, people of color are in need, not all of them, not most of them, but there are students in need. Um, there are so many, so many project housing areas in the area. Um, and there are students who are lacking from, from quality education in the area, be it funding or personalized learning, like I mentioned before. There are students of color who are in need, so it is inherently Christian to seek ways to serve those communities and to bring in students and to love on students who need the gospel, who need assistance, Um, or scholarship, and who need that personalized Christian learning center. Um, So the implications of private schools in the area is that they're taking funding away just naturally. By the existence of 19 private schools, the enrollment levels in the public schools is at a rate that the funding is not supplied as it should be. Um, You're taking away opportunities for parents who do have money, who are able to provide or donate to schools. They are not donating to these public schools. They're donating to their private schools. Um, And a lot of the money in the community is being funneled to private schools, which is leaving the public schools lacking. A lot of our private schools get 
thousands upon hundreds of thousands of dollars through personal donations every year. And some of our public schools are still fighting to get money for classroom book sets and libraries. Um, So this goes deeper than Christian values, but the Christian values should be to uplift those in the community who need uplifting. And it should be to seek diversity for all students in the community so that the classroom reflects the kingdom of God, which is a diverse place, a diverse group. It is a diverse um, gathering at the feet of the Lord. He designed every tribe, color, and language, and that should be reflected in our churches. It should be reflected in our communities, in our friend groups, and especially in our classrooms um, if, if the private schools are truly seeking to uphold the values of Christ Jesus. In order to understand this topic more, I wanted to talk with someone who knows more than I do about the private school private school system in Macon, Georgia, and that is my own husband. He works at Covenant Academy, a private school in Macon. Um, they were founded in 1986, not the 70s, so they are slightly in the clear, but they still have um, a disproportionate amount of white students. Um, And I really wanted to get his thoughts and opinions as he is the Bible teacher and he can speak more to the Christian principles of diversity, as well as some ideas for going forward um, as he works with these principals at these private schools and these stakeholders and parents. So you're about to listen to our conversation. Um, So when I um, started doing research for this podcast topic, I read a story by a lady. Her pseudonym was Veda, and her experience was like Darth Vader. Stop. Um, <laughs> her experience was being a student pre-desegregation um, in the public schools, and then when she graduated, she became a teacher in the new desegregated schools in Bibb County. So she kind of went through all of that as a student. And then again, as a teacher and your story is kind of the opposite. Cause you did that through private school in Macon. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in private school in Macon for five years, five years. Yeah. It just hasn't been continuous. Um, you know, I graduated in 2014 from a private school in Macon and now, I'm on my second year teaching in one. Before that, I was in private schools in other counties. Did you, when you were attending school, did you notice, did you ever notice that it was not very diverse compared to the city itself? Yeah, probably like every day. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's very evident. When you go to the grocery store, you see half or more of the people are African-American. And then you go to school and you see that two of them are. Did that click with you that that was, that was a problem in high school or did it take being a teacher to understand that? Yeah. In high school, I didn't think it was an issue except for the fact that um, we probably like as an athlete, I wish we would have had some more athletes. Uh, 
as a teacher, I realized, well, not even as a teacher much before that, but in college, I realized that's ignorant. And um, I begin to see the problem with a school being 5% African-American when the city's 55 or more percent, I think. Yeah. Do you think students that you see now notice it? Notice, yes. Find it problematic, no. Like a lot of students um, really uh, would not say that they find it good. Um, but a lot of students, in the ways in which they talk about things, are seemingly pointing towards the fact that they kind of like it how it is. And that's kind of how it should be. Hmm. Do the teachers and faculty think it's problematic? Or in your experience, is it kind of like put to the side? Do people not recognize it? Or what's been the response by the schools? I would say that I am in the minority of faculty members that would say it is problematic. You know, all faculty members observe it. But in terms of it being a problem, I'd say it's more common to think that it's okay. Do you, and it's interesting because you, your school specifically identifies as being founded in Christian values. And I know a lot of schools in the area also believe um, in Christian values. So do you think it adds to it being problematic when you put your Christian stamp on it? Or do you think either way, I mean, just claiming to be a Christian school make it more of an issue? I mean, I think either way it's problematic. Even when you just look at uh, what's gained through education, uh, one of the, I think one of the most important things gained in education is understanding different perspectives of life and when you are 95% white, middle class or higher uh, people, you don't really get to do that as well as you could. Um, but then being Christian just adds even more to that. Um, because as Christians were called um, to go out into the world um, and to resemble, the church is called to resemble the whole world uh, and Although the school's not the church, um, my school in particular is predominantly Christian. Um, so you would you would hope that some of those characteristics would carry over. Yeah. So do you think there? What would be a good step for your school to take to kind of move towards having a more inclusive student body? Uh, I think always those kinds of things begin with just having conversation um, and trying to get people on the same page that one, it is um, an issue that our school is predominantly and nearly, I mean, our upper schools, 95% white. You have to get everybody on the same page of realizing that that is problematic. Um, you know, before you can begin to take, steps towards inclusivity um, but some of those steps could be 
uh, pretty easily done in addition. All right. What, so what would be some practical things the school could do to make the student body more diverse? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it starts um, on the forefront of, you know, after conversation is making private school education accessible to uh, more people. Um, you know, schools in May, private schools in Macon or anywhere, you know, at least for high schools or anywhere, from I think it's I think the cheapest is about twelve thousand dollars a year. It goes all the way up to about twenty five thousand dollars a year. So scholarships, grants, financial aid, um, those sorts of things allow uh, people who you know maybe couldn't afford it otherwise to have a way into school. Awesome. Have you seen any uh, movement towards more scholarships since you were a student? Um, no, no, not at my school in particular. You know, I don't know. It's hard to say about other schools. I don't see that end of them. Um, but it doesn't seem so, you know, from the outside looking at other schools, it doesn't seem to be any different from when I was there. I would be curious to know, I don't know this, but I don't imagine that, um, racial, you know, the racial populations in schools have changed very much since I was in school. Yeah. I think they've probably been pretty steady since, I mean, do, do you think your staff and everyone, do they even know the roots of why most of the public private schools were made in Macon? Do you think that that's like something people acknowledge and are um, aware of? I mean, for my school in particular, I think most of the staff's aware of why this school started, uh, you know, in terms of what you and I've talked about with other private schools in the area, um, you know, starting kind of as a response to desegregation of schools. Now, I would, I would not think that that is a, a common fact, a common known fact to uh, faculty in other schools and much less students. Right. And your school was founded a few years later than most of the ones in the area. So um, I don't think that history is quite as evident, but I know some schools are the year founded is the exact year that Macon decided to desegregate the public schools. And yeah, that's that crazy. can't be a coincidence. I just wonder if people are aware of that and right. acknowledging those roots when they think of how many scholarships to give Yep. Um, how much community service or um yeah because at some point you know you wonder if we acknowledge our wrongdoings can we go even you know above and beyond to you know restore our wrongdoings you know you would love to see some some private schools that make and do that yeah and i think especially it's just evident and i'm sure this is how it is in a lot of southern cities and i'm sure most private schools in the south are a product of desegregation but i think especially in macon it's so evident because like you said the town population is so split almost and while the the people themselves are about 50 50 white and black the schools are still i mean 90 percent or above 
towards public or private, black and white. Yeah, that's crazy. Jacob was able to offer me some insight into the private school world of Bibb County, um, but that is not where the issues stop, unfortunately, with Bibb County schools and um, segregation. We still have to explore the idea of gerrymandering and boundary lines for school districts and how um, the action of the public schools to bring more white families in was to um, divert all the project kids to certain high schools in the city. Um, I have a quote from Veda's testimony. Um, She quoted one of her principals that said, now I might not be here, but you all need to pay attention to this. Notice how the lines are beginning to be drawn. Um, That was a quote by Veda's principal. Her name was Gloria, and she was the principal of Southwest High School um, years ago. She um, began to point out the, the problems with boundary drawing and lines in the school district and how the zoning was another angle for for um, segregation to continue in the city. Um, there is no doubt that the white population of Macon was making deliberate actions to prevent desegregation from occurring in the city and we still see those effects today and next week we're going to dive into more of how that impacts the community how that hampers improvement in the community and how that is a a detriment to um, a functioning society as a whole including crime rates and um, drug use in the city and the homicide rate and all that's involved with that Join us next week.